Welcome to the podcast, Dr. D on ADHD, a place where we chat about ADHD. Uh, my name is Devin and I'm the host and I will be talking with Dr. Samuel Dismond. Together we, we run this show and we also um, operate his private practice uh, where we treat ADHD. Dr. D, how's it going? It's going well, Devin. It's good to hear. We are uh, rolling out our third episode right now, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about ADHD traps. What do you notice regarding common traps that people with ADHD may fall into? The feeling that a person with this phenotype, the $10 scientific word meaning the outward expression of DNA. So people with this phenotype aren't aware of the latest perspectives on who they are. And the things that will work for them as individuals are not included in the choices offered by our culture. It's like, boom, we come into the world, and I'm uh, borrowing a term that I've heard other people use. They call them the factory defaults of our culture. Mm. And it's the, you know, the options for making a living. It's like, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a this, I'm a that. What do you want to do when you grow up? It's a this or a that. And these boxes are very small with very high walls and they don't fit the big, round, sensitive nervous system of people with this phenotype. Mm. And so... The choices that they make aren't like, oh, yeah, that fits me great. It's like, well, I guess I'll give this a shot. It seems to be the, you know, the best of the alternatives, I think. Like, that's the energy of Mm. the decision making. And so that's a bad setup to begin with. Okay, that's number one. Before that happens, before that even happens, they're actually... These folks are actually making choices, bless their hearts, about what they want to do as their career, as their profession. Since a little bit before puberty, the fact that they have this very special phenotype that once upon a time was viewed by we other humans as literally a superpower, but nowadays in this very square, compartmentalized way we as a society, Western society, think about things. From that perspective, these kids, they're they're different. And, you know, especially in this day and age, it's really obvious we treat different as a them, as an enemy. And we try to get them, them to be like us, to be the same as us. So... The fact that they have this very distinct, very special outward expression of their nervous system, because they have this, they do and say things 
that are different from everybody else, two-thirds of the people in the room, their age. And the adults have a, a typical them, why, don't, why can't you sit down? Why can't you do this? Why can't you act like us? Why are you with them? That message is really corrosive and erosive. It's like, why am I being me not good enough? Mm. Rarely does a child just passing through puberty, which is rough enough, rarely do they have someone who takes them aside and explains to them in a way they can understand that they're okay. <laughs> Explain to them the dynamics of what's happening. This is a very primitive, paleolithic reflex. It's an old evolutionary trick that doesn't match our modern, developed young brain. This middle-aged part of our brains has this reaction to something different, to the other. And... Folks who are in the big two-thirds, that is the average, they have this very primitive reaction to kids who are different. And so nobody pulls them aside to say that. So as they're developing, they get this slow, corrosive drip, cultural acid drip on their tender hearts and souls that's, why can't you? You're not good enough as you are. Compound that as they get older with limited choices. It's like you must be one of these square boxes if you are going to make a living and survive. Compound that with getting into one of these boxes. And it's just so hard when you're around to fit in a square. It's just difficult. From the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, it's all square, 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 square. Now's the time for this. Now you must stay on this because it's the time for this. These round, sensitive nervous systems just don't operate that way. And so the expectations of being in the box start to be corrosive. And there's no place to go inside myself if I'm this kind of person, if I have this phenotype. It's like, well, shit, I, cho I chose this. So uh, it must mm. be me. The problem must be me. This is all leading up to the fact that many people with this phenomenally special phenotype have a low level of depression. And when they meet medical professionals and they talk about their feelings, not even knowing that they have this phenotype, they'll be told they're depressed. Mm. Okay. And that they have that depression is the primary thing. And when they talk about, well, you know, the conversation drifts into topics that suggest they have this phenotype the medical professional will say, oh yeah, you can't focus because you're depressed. They treat, it, treat the person as if 
Depression is a disease and that's all there is. Mm. And so it's very difficult because it started the drip, the corrosive drip started so early and it's been there all the time. There's no information about the fact that they even have this phenotype. And then when they discover this phenotype one way or the other, most people talk about it as if it's a disease, as if there's something wrong with them. And a, a, a very quick review of history will reveal, oh, no, that's not the case. This is an entirely culturally defined phenomenon. Hmm. Okay? And so they, they will almost fight against any other notion that there's something else going on because this depressed feeling, this feeling of failure, micro failures, you know, people talk about microaggressions and I say, that's a bunch of hooey for people with this phenotype. Micro failures is a very real thing. And so the trap that a lot of uh, people have is that the depressed feeling, which is secondary is something that they can change by meditating, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. They can change their thinking. That will fix the depression, and then everything will be okay. That's the trap, and it's not. The data show this, and it's my clinical experience, that first, people with this phenotype have to understand who they are, and it's not a disease. It's circumstance. Second, stimulants have been overwhelmingly demonstrated when properly used, when, when the person with the phenotype has the opportunity to experiment and figure it out for themselves, what works, with guidance, of course with guidance, but they have the opportunity to figure it out for themselves, make the adjustments for themselves. When those things happen, the light goes on. It really goes on. And then the result, the depression, the result of the constant drip is seen for what it is. The drip is removed. There's a sense of control. I hate that word, but it's most appropriate. They, they, these folks have now have a sense of control. They understand that they can use a stimulant when they want, need it and not use it when they don't. And that's really a good thing. Boom. All that stuff goes away. All that depression goes away. So the, the, the tr by itself, without therapy, without meditating or anything, it just goes away. And sometimes when the trauma is significant and it's really trapped in memory, yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy after getting on stimulant therapy works really well. The data show that. Mm -hmm. First a stimulant and for really stuck emotions, cognitive behavioral therapy. That works. But cognitive behavioral therapy by itself or treatment for depression by itself, nah, it's not going to help very much. So to bring it on back and answer your question directly again, the trap is feeling depressed and focusing on that depressed feeling. That's the trap. So if, if somebody was, was born and raised in a way that was really nurturing and, and healthy for their yes. ADHD, what would that person look like? If they were to skip 
over the the way that society makes them feel um, say they were the erosion yeah, yes if that if that part wasn't there what would that human look like as an adult i'm gonna venture to say that first of all there wouldn't be the corroded result the depressed feeling which is hugely valuable yeah and they would understand that so-called career choices have to fit their phenotype. That there's these are not going to be off the shelf. They're going to be customized. And that they should look there. And in the course of, of getting close to what the ideal situation is, they will find there are periods of time when there's no escaping the square box. It's There's just no escaping it. Like, I got to do my taxes. And even with a accountant helping me do my taxes, I still have to organize this stuff. So the person, first of all, who was raised and made aware of who they are from a young age would skip all that those bad feelings. And they would have in the back of their mind that I have to make choices that fit my neurospecialness and that they're gonna they're not gonna be off the shelf. And and Thirdly, that there may be times when I need a stimulant and that's okay. I'm not going to take it all the time. doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not going to get addicted. It's not a bad thing. My nervous system, because it's different from everybody else's, actually metabolizes stimulants in a different way. So I have this confidence in that I'm in the world and I'm in my right place at my right time. Not that I'm some freak that doesn't fit. So there will be this air of comfort and confidence that comes when somebody is in a place that's familiar. That's what they'll look like. Mm. Somebody who's comfortable in their place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for answering. That was a really nice, long answer. It it just doesn't seem like it is at all what... um, what I notice a lot of the communities see ADHD or ADHD treatment as. I've noticed that in general, um, and I've noticed it in my practice, I have to work hard to be a good storyteller. Um, I understand that it's really easy to get lost in these explanations. I try very hard to engage people in a question-answer way Uh, When I'm trying to explain a concept, I ask people to guess what they think this is just to engage them. But that's part of it. Unfortunately, it seems like there could be a quick answer, but there's not. That's true for a lot of life. There just is not a quick answer. And so there's a place for um, I've had to learn how to do it. And I think everybody should learn how to do it if they have something they want to share It's not about me feeling good just running my gums. I have to learn how to be a good storyteller to engage. This is for the the listener. It's not for me. And so that's a challenge. I think many times, you know, in our culture, there's this I got the mic thing and I'm talking so it's all about me. That's absolutely cannot be the case with folks with this phenotype. They have to be addressed in a way that suits them. They have to be engaged. The, the content has to jump around a lot in interesting ways, just like in a story. 
Hmm. So that's that's just me reflecting on what you just said about the short answers and that I give long answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I recognize that and I try to keep it, I try to tell a good story. I really work on it. I, I ask people if they understand. I try to get feedback. I ask for suggestions. I try to sense when somebody's drifting off and, and shake them up <laughs> mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, and, and you're saying there's there's really just one trap. You're describing just one, and that, that's just one of them. There's more than one. Yeah, but well, that's the biggest one I see. I see. Yeah, so that's the biggest one. It's not like everything funnels through that trap or anything. No, no. Yeah, what are that's the biggest one I see. Do you have any other traps that you could talk about? Yeah. Another trap is it's kind of, uh, I guess the word, anxiety seems too strong of a word, Mm -hmm. but it's in that neighborhood of feeling and it is about being alone. It's this, 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 it's almost like a battle of should I be alone or shouldn't I be alone? If I'm alone, then um, I, and it feels good, I might be um just making what i think is a problem worse but if i'm in the thick of things it's just especially in places like cities it's just too much it's just too much so the trap is bouncing back and forth making it an either or uh thing that i either have to be out of it or in it and that that like kind of like a worry creates a kind of anxiety and that's a trap and it and it's about and it kind of infects all kinds of choices it's hard to decide one thing or another because it it subtly gets painted in this am i alone or am am i in a crowd and it's very difficult to find a a middle ground and so that's the other uh, kind of trap is that mm. this anxious feeling from that does that make sense? Somewhat, yeah. What would a... I have ADHD and I started to... <laughs> I mean, it's hard to continue to to stay tuned through these long descriptions sometimes. I was... Yes. I was... Yes. I got lost when you started talking about the city and I was literally... <laughs> I was thinking about... You got lost when talking about what now? When you started Which talking one? about the city... I yes. I just I started remembering when I lived in the city and I was just like what was it like and I I mean I am a person who deals with this so I I I want to know more about about that like that example of the person that's in the city and the stimulus of the city Yeah. That I feel like is a really strong example that I'd like to unpack a bit and understand more. Sure. So there's a there's a phenomenon that happens when it happens for all humans. It's when when something comes up that I really don't want to see, that's when I drift off. That's when I I my thought I will get hooked by something that was said and I will follow that rabbit hole. Uh. It's because I really don't want to think about the bigger context of what that thing is. 
So that's that's that happens with everybody. And I think it's more challenging mm. for people who have this phenotype. Mm-hmm. That can be more challenging. Because the threshold for looking at something else is low. So looking at something else can happen quickly. Or it's that there's something that's uncomfortable. And and one of the ways to tell the difference is it's kind of like this little sleepiness. It's like... <laughs> It's like this little thing happens when I make the switch and start going down the rabbit hole. That's when I'm mm. essentially running away. Mm-hmm. But and that's part of the trap <laughs> that I'm that I'm trying to describe. Yeah. About being alone or being in the in the city. Yeah. Cuz fun fundamentally just on paper that the all the stimuli in the city on a day-to-day basis is pretty toxic for everybody and especially toxic for people who have this phenotype. It's like the the nerve our nervous system is screaming danger. <laughs> mm. You know, this is not good. This is not good. So it almost I don't know if this feeling of of guilt was was uh positive or not but when i lived in the city i um i i felt like i could distract myself with the city all day and i felt Mm -hmm. bad about it i felt like Mm -hmm. i did feel like i could go and entertain myself and walk around the block and like get a smoothie and Mm -hmm. and talk to the barista Mm -hmm. and i felt engaged Mm -hmm. and like there was a sense of Mm -hmm. community but Uh i always felt guilty at how that countered my my productivity and my potential output but i at the same time felt like i'm i am feeding and getting something that i am wanting and it it seems harder to satisfy that that want outside of the city with the less things to to grab you but you know that's a really good point and a lot of that is conditioning. The concerns are that's that's kind of the the concerns are kind of what I was talking about with the anxiety. You mm. described it in another way, and I appreciate that. I that, that giving a personal using your being generous with your personal experience to say that. Mm-hmm. So that the the things that to that attract you in the city are the functioning of your phenotype. So imagine yourself in a postmodern state and you, you are, you are the lookout, you're the sentry. So of course you're always wandering around the space where your group currently is and you're checking in with people and it doesn't take long. And, while you're checking in, you're looking around, looking at their hut, looking for any changes, looking for danger, looking for advantages. And as you move around, that fits your phenotype. Mm. And, and I dare say that's probably why it feels so good to do it. I, I'm going to venture a guess that it's, you're fortunate if you can make a living doing that. A lot of people who have your phenotype end up doing things like biz development, biz dev, or 
recruiting because it's essentially that that's feeding their phenotype like their day-to-day tasks a lot of them love it because they're just that's what it is they're going around checking their sources and and seeing how new hires are doing seeing looking for new business etc cetera, etc cetera. feeds that but for m- many people like making a living off of that is just not an option mm. and there are aspects of of growth that can only happen by oneself. That that's we all know this. We hate to admit it, but it's true. There are all, there are aspects of being by oneself. So there's a, that truth that you may know more or less. It's in the back of your mind or the front of your mind. Plus the conditioning. Well, how can you make a living doing that? Just going around talking to people all day, mm-hmm. and you don't see anything on the horizon. So you feel like you're burnt you're a consumer and not a producer being Mm. productive Mm. and then there's another piece to this which is also the result of culture it's most people don't know how to use their sensory ability to in a different context so taking the basic tools cognitive tools, you know, how your brain thinks, how my body works in a city, and apply that to nature. And then learn to have communication, more or less, with different aspects of nature. And so that's that's can be a limitation. That looks like being alone, but it isn't. It's not really being alone. It's just being unfamiliar with this new way of interacting in a new place. What does that... so there's that. What does that look like in in nature? What does that look like for somebody? Or or an example, or what could it look like, I guess? Well, I can can only... Yeah. um, (laughs) Speak about my experiences. So I, I, I take a lot of walks when I can. It's difficult for me to do that these days, but when I do, I don't have to go very far. I will just sit and enjoy the 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 sunshine. I'll sit on a curb or or if there's a a stone fence on somebody's yard, I'll sit there. And after a few minutes, a cat comes by. And I love cats. And so I'm having a I I befriend this cat and it's she is now part of my routine. She, you know, if I'm roughly walking around <laughs> the same time of the day, she's there and I have a conversation with the cat. <laughs> and then there's this spot where these purple flowers and I'm very fond of bumblebees and I'll sit and the bees will come and check me out. And I swear to God, some of the bees look familiar, you know, and I look at them and watch what they're doing and watch how they do things. And it's like that. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And I get to know, I get to f- have a feel for this other than human and critters in my environment. And I learn how to interact with them, observe them, and I gain information from them. And, and I dare say, I, I can only imagine that for somebody with this unique phenotype, that's really bringing it home. Mm. Like learning how to re-engage that, that is from where, I dare say, the phenotype comes. What do you mean? That's where it... 
where it comes. It, like before, before civilization, we evolved to be sensitive to. It wasn't buildings and the barista, and it was bees and flowers and other critters, and you know, th- those are the entities with whom we had conversations in our rounds. If we are this phenotype in our rounds, checking out the environment, doing our big radar dish sweep of our area, mm-hmm. that that's you know the vast amount of our history was that, and so I can't help but think our our evolutionary evolutionary produced biology was about that, and it's just a matter of reengaging that. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever incorporate these types of um, things into uh, treatment or anything with with patients? Did, telling people to go outside or to go wander around. Or Only when like they that? ask. Yeah. Only when they ask. When I find myself doing it, like the last, I hate sounding like a broken record to <laughs> to with people who want my help. Yeah. And so it's like you know, quit smoking. It's like how many times have I said that? So now I I just don't yeah. I don't volunteer stuff unless I'm I'm asked and people eventually do they you know I our practice as you know is it's an opportunity for people to be extremely personal it's easier to be personal using the messaging system mm-hmm. and they offer things and so they'll ask me what did you do and. I reciprocate. I tell them things that I did, and then they're like, "Wow, I never thought of doing that. Tell me more." Yeah, and I'll say, "Oh, sure." In a phone conversation, or when they come for the logistics visit, I schedule thirty minutes. They're rarely clinical. We just shoot the shite, you know, and it's just talking. Yeah. So, questions like that will come up, and they're like, "Wow, I never thought of that." And I say, "How do I try that?" And then I offer, but I stopped. You know, doing the preachy thing because I, I can't stand hearing myself say the same thing over and over again. I just can't stand it. And I imagine that, you know, people can feel that. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I'm reading a script. It's like, nah, nope. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> and people have, you know, people have asked me. And a few people have actually made a change and done different things because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's eye-opening. Yeah. I'm grateful. I'm really grateful when they do try things and, and it works out for the better. I don't feel like, ah, see, I told you so. Ha ha, I'm so smart. It's like, no. I, I'm just really grateful that, <laughs> you know, somebody tries something and it's it's positive. Yeah. We swim in so much negativity and fractiousness these days. It's like, try something and it's positive? Thank you. And I mean, there there was a time when there were no stimulant medications, and yeah. I mean, it was just trying all kinds of of things. I'm sure that you had to to do before there was a solution. And I, I'm See, sure it was, interestingly yeah. the the time it's interesting because the time when there were no stimulant stimulants, there wasn't a need for it. Hmm. Right, right. That people we forget. This is like what we're living in right now, 
it, it's it's so new. We have no idea whether a lot of this setup that we're doing is good for us or not because it's so new. It takes like four, five, six generations. People forget a generation starts at 25 years old and, you know, like when's your peak reproduction. But you don't finish a generation for another 50 years. So talking in terms of people lifetimes, that's 80 years. So three people ago is like 250 years. That's mm. just three people. Three people ago. 250 years. Yeah. And this thing we're living in now is didn't kick in till the 1950s. It was post-World War II. Mm. This thing we've created is, it's like a blink in terms of human development. Yeah. And, and before that time, oh, no, 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 no. Things weren't so, you know, this like <laughs> people with this phenotype were highly valued, highly, highly valued. There was no need for stimulant. Hmm. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I appreciate the breakdown. I think we've wrapped this, this one up nicely okay how do you feel is that all right yeah i feel good i mean i know i it's like i i i'm i can go on quite a while <laughs> i know it's like 50 minutes we've been talking so <laughs> something yeah. like that oh it's so great. i appreciate I mean, anybody that, that follows along you can always pause it and come back to it <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for breaking that down most common traps is where we started and um yes we covered two big ones. We did. Two big ones. We did. Thanks for listening to Devin and me, Dr. D on ADHD. If you have any feedback, episode ideas, or questions that you would like us to explore in an episode, please email your thoughts to podcast at norcaladhd.com. That's podcast at N-O-R-C-A-L-A-D-H-D.com. You can find links and references in our show notes over at norcaladhd.com forward slash podcast. And if you've gained any value from this episode, give us a heart, a review, or some love wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening.